Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Graveyard to Coffee Talk. We are your hosts, Amanda and Corinne, and we are sadly recording um, remote again. Neither of us are sick this time. This is small blessings. Uh, it's just recording in December and trying to find time where we are both available. Yeah, is sure something. It's it's a choice, and we were we were gonna make honest efforts, but there's actually a big event this weekend in town. Yeah, traffic, hellacious. Yeah, traffic in my neighborhood. I am my street is smack dab in the middle of the two streets participating in this big Christmas festival today. Yeah, so leaving my house not happening. I understand. I. I didn't think about it until you were like, uh, hey, don't come get me. And I was like, yeah. all right. All right. So, Amanda, on this this night of poor decisions, what are you drinking? So, I am drinking a poor decision. It's great. Oh. Because, uh, uh, for reference, it is 7.30 p.m. Um, great time to drink coffee. But Sounds it's, I'm an adult and I can do what I want. People don't think I'm an adult, Amanda. <laughs> oh my gosh, please tell this story before I talk about what I'm drinking because this is the best thing ever. So it was my niece's birthday this weekend and we were out celebrating with them. It was really lovely. And it's been a minute since I've seen my brother-in-law's family. Uh, like I had to remind one of them that I am Hunter's wife, not his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a recent addition. We've been together for six years. Right. Um, so I'm talking with two of my brother-in-law's nieces and nephews. They're one's a freshman. I know the other one might be like an eighth grader even, and we're chatting and we're having a good time. They're cool kids. And I was talking about all the cool things that my mom did at the zoo and how it's, you know, not fair that I don't get to have these experiences. And this very sweet young boy is like, I believe that you'll be able to be a zookeeper when you grow up. And I, I was like, this. I'm, I'm nearly 35. I'm a grown up and I have a full-time job and I'm married. I love this story so much. So I was like, um, I don't know what about me doesn't read as grown up, but apparently I do not read as grown up. Oh, so yes. Tell me if she's, if it makes you feel any better, I would not guess teenager. Thank you. I would not guess mid-30s, but I would not guess teenager. I I am full of exuberance and stupidity. What can I say? Um. Anyway, what are we drinking tonight, Amanda? All right. So I am drinking what feels like actual witchcraft oh. because I cannot wrap my head around the fact that this actually tastes good. Mm-hmm. Um. I am drinking... Mount Hagen Organic Fair Trade Instant Decaf Coffee. Oh, 
Okay. I mean, you know my feelings on decaf. You know my feelings on decaf. But, but I'm also <laughs> 32 <laughs> with a generalized anxiety disorder. Sounds so <laughs> sometimes I should have less caffeine in my system. Um, I hate that for me. Oh, this is going to be a fun episode to uh, edit. My cats have the zoomies and are galloping upstairs. Well, you know, my dog just finished the rawhide I gave him and my husband's still doing bedtime with our son. So we'll see what noises are made. At least there's a convenient button on my new microphone that I can just press to mute myself real quick. So <laughs> sorry if that happens mid-sentence. It'll be um, fine. We got this. All right. Anyway, sorry. You're, this, you're alchemical, amazing, magical yeah, coffee. I, I don't know why it tastes good. Like it's, it's not, you know, freshly ground coffee. It's not coffee shop coffee. Yeah. But it's good. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Nice. I'm going to try to ignore that dog. He's already been outside in the last 15 minutes. <laughs> mm. Oh, actually, if you can give me just a second, I'm going to get our fun new training yeah, no, toy. No worries. We have this fun new uh, collar that just vibrates gently huh. uh, when we press okay. a button to break him out of a loop that he gets into when he starts barking because he's noticed something or because he's sad that I'm not upstairs on a couch so that he can be upstairs on a couch, but also snuggling because he is spoiled fucking rotten. <laughs> hey, you. This is a podcast about pets. Uh, <laughs> Corinne, what are you drinking tonight? Um, I actually am drinking, and I brought it down here because I knew it and remember. Uh, it's a tea called Valhalla from Darkwood's Apothecary. Amazing. It's beautifully packaged. Oh my gosh, that's gorgeous. Guys, so I, I'm looking at this and the detail on this packaging is stunning. It's amazing. Uh, I got it at the Wise Woman Shop in Nashville, Indiana. Okay. Um, and They weren't open when we went. They have odd hours i've only successfully gone in there once and it's when i bought this tea and then um the little tea strainer thingy so it's got is, like a is that obsidian i don't know that it's real obsidian because i only paid five dollars for it oh yeah probably not and it, it's a little heart-shaped friend that's so My cute tea. Yeah, I went in there and I spent way too much money and I was like, um, but I'm going to pimp you on my podcast because I love this place. <laughs> and now we have. Mm -hmm. How many months later? Three. Three. It's been three months because I went there with my cousin. Okay, cool. Yeah. And I'm All going right. again next weekend. <laughs> I don't have a problem. All right. No, you can quit anytime you want. Uh so what is our card for this episode? Okay, so I found a deck that I forgot I owned. Amazing. Um, it's from a Kickstarter that I backed. It is the Threadbound Oracle. Oh, it's and so cute. 
So it's an Oracle deck, and then it also um, part of the reward tier that I backed. Uh, there's also a book that I never read because I forgot about all of this until I was cataloging all of my um, my decks because a friend of mine asked for a reading and I wanted them to be able to pick out which deck they wanted. Um, but it is a deck designed for storytelling. Oh, fun. So I pulled the reader reversed. Oh, I like that art. Look at those two little lesbians. Those it's really great. It's a those women are in a long term relationship. Here it is, right side up for you. It's really great. Um, so the reader reversed is all about misinterpretation and disbelief and influence. And I'm like, look at us, John Cards. <laughs> hey. Our topic. So speaking of um, misinterpretations. Uh, what, and I also I really like this. Um, the shadow reader may have an interpretation of a situation that's misinformed or entirely wrong. We do have the right to see things our own way, but that doesn't mean we're always right. So on that note, Amanda, what are we talking about today? What have we done our research on? I mean, man, you already said it. That fits too well. That's eerie. I love it. Uh so today we are covering the topic fake lore. And I had way too much fun with this. Oh, same. Oh, same. Uh, so I know that we've touched on this topic brief. Uh, little English bit English doesn't work. Uh, but we've touched on this topic briefly in the Winter Myths episode. But a quick refresher on what exactly fake lore is. Uh, per our good friend Wikipedia, fake lore is, quote, inauthentic manufactured folklore presented as if it were genuinely traditional. And that's that's kind of crucial when mm -hmm. you talk about fake lore versus folklore versus pop culture. Uh, fantasy authors coming up with belief systems and myths for their own worlds, not fake lore. Yeah. Uh, American hippies in the 70s claiming their brand of free love as part of an ancient Native American prophecy. Fake lore, cultural appropriation, cultural exploitation, and we will get to it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a little bit of background. I'm not going to do too, too much because I know you said you have uh, some background about the study of fake lore. Yes, uh, probably not the same because I did not do a deep dive okay. on this part. Um, but the term fake lore was coined by American folklorist Richard M. Dorson in 1950. Mm -hmm. His examples were people like uh, Pico Spill, Paul Bunyan, uh, as we discussed in Winter Myths. Yes. Uh, and Dorson was not a fan of yeah. fake lore, <laughs> uh, to put it mildly. He complained that people who pushed fake lore were diluting and sentimentalizing folklore, making millennia-long traditions and beliefs into something quaint and whimsical. I would like to inform him about the roots of folklore as an academic study and its ties to romanticism and maybe get into a fistfight. I will get to that. Yay! <laughs> Uh, but, you know, not that he would have used this term, but the way I interpret that is he had the same arguments that people have about the Disneyfication of Grimm's fairy tales. Yeah. Um, 
which again, I disagree with. I think there are multiple ways to teach a lesson to children and perhaps we don't have to have all of them be incredibly bloody. I don't know. That's just me. And I, I mean, love horror. We Maybe not for a three-year-old. <laughs> we, we could also get into the Brothers Grimm's and the reasoning behind the way they told the stories the way they did. Yes. And the political implications therein. But that is not today's topic. And I will no, the box. But it should absolutely be a topic if I can figure out a way to make it American on my side. But I am American yeah, and I can girl. make anything American if I slap a coat of paint on it. Good girl. You got Disney. We got True. this. We got this. We got this. Um, so as you were saying, uh, there is the school of thought that counter argues that folklore and contemporary media have always and will always influence each other. And yeah. so the vitriol shown to bits of fake lore from Dorson, uh, uh, from Dorson inclined scholars is a bit overblown. Mm -hmm. um, and I am usually inclined to agree with this argument, but you know, the two bits of fake lore that I have to discuss today have me embracing the Dorson opinion hard. I have some essays to send you if you haven't read them that are both sides of the aisle and they're both very interesting tacks to take. I would love to read them. I probably have not because again, I did not get too deep on that portion. I accidentally went way too deep and I'm really sorry. I had to cut a lot and I don't actually reference half the things that are in my citations list. <laughs> Whoopsie doodle. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, so first, Let's go to 1931 Pennsylvania. Okay. Where a story by a man named Owen Francis first appears in Scriber's magazine. Francis okay. tells the story of Joe Magarock, which he says was okay. told to him by Hungarian immigrants in a steel factory. Okay. He claimed that the men who told the story said that the tales of Joe Magarok went back to the late 1800s. Okay. Uh, good old Joe was a Pittsburgh boy and loyal as all get out to the steel mill he worked at. Good man. Uh, no. The man <laughs> used offers of marriage from beautiful women, refused any amount of wealth offered to him, preferring to work round the clock to keep the company going. Ah. Uh. Yeah, Joe worked 24-hour days, several days in a row, with zero complaint. Did he? He did. He worked so hard, the company even had to shut down for a few days to replace the raw materials that he used. Because he worked so efficiently. There's even a story that states that when the company was in danger, Joe melted his own body down into raw materials so he could be used in the manufacturing of steel going forward, thus saving the company. Hey, Amanda, I hate that. <laughs> right? Uh, basically, Joe Magarok is what every stereotypical boomer boss thinks their employees should be. Yay. Yeah. Uh, and man, Joe, just act your wage. <laughs> and now here's where it gets funny. This yeah. is what made me have to include this one in the episode. Yeah. So 
Obviously, given the topic of today's episode, the story of Joe Magarok and his inability to create a work-life balance for himself did not organically grow amongst factory workers in Pittsburgh. I know you're shocked. I, I cannot believe that this story would not be accurate. Right? You are currently muted. Am I on now? You're good. Cool. We didn't record me uh, saying not so kind things about my husband. <laughs> not on the record. Uh, so anyway, uh, that story did not grow organically amongst factory workers. What uh, a shocker. I know. Now, I have no doubt that a couple of Hungarian immigrants who were fed up with men in the pockets of the capitalists who made the labor movement necessary uh, told him this story. Mm -hmm. And why do I have no doubt that they told him that? Oh, oh, I know this one. But because now. the word Magarak in Hungarian translates to donkey. <laughs> so these men probably a week away from striking as so many steel workers did around this time described a company bootlicker who didn't complain about the obscene working conditions and literally worked himself into an early grave as Joe jackass. <laughs> and I think that's beautiful. Yes. I, I did come across that while I was doing my research. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I, it is just, it's so good. It's delightful. It's so good. So now with a plea for you, dear listeners, to support unions in your area and get your coworkers to form a union with you if your working conditions suck, we leave the 1930s behind and travel to the psychedelic groovy world of 1962 evangelicals. Oh, let's okay. get into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we'll fast forward past 1962 really quickly to 1970 and a new cult, I mean, religion was what? forming. Uh, this is when the Rainbow Family of Living Light was founded. I'm sorry, the what? <laughs> yeah, the Rainbow Family of Living Light. Hmm. Uh, the organization still exists today, by the oh. way, uh, calling itself, quote, the largest organization of non-members in the world. Um, yeah, the Rainbow Family doesn't have a strict mission statement, only that members should strive towards creating an intentional community, embody spirituality, strive for constant evolution and non-commercialism. All laudable goals. Yeah, um, I'm like I'm down with this. But a it's day, a bunch but... of love and light spiritual people in one place so you know the cultural appropriation is just around the corner uh, uh yeah see a common belief spread by the rainbow family non-members at their disorganized not gatherings i'm sorry i just i hate them <laughs> <laughs> is the legend of the rainbow warriors no, this is not a 90s cartoon. I want it to be, though. <laughs> per this legend, uh, which believers assert is a Hopi or Cree prophecy. Those are kind of different cultures. Uh, entirely different cultures that you wouldn't 
ever confuse if you gave a shit about either of them. Uh, but according to this prophecy, a time of crisis will come to planet Earth where all the trees are dying and many races will come together to save the planet. And when many races come together, a new race of people called the Rainbow Warriors will arise. No! And when they come, the old native ways will die out and be replaced by the, quote, more evolved ways of the Rainbow Warriors. Oh, no! Yeah. Oh, no! Yeah, we've got uh, Colonizer Captain Planet over here. <laughs> no! Oh, I'm crying. Oh my god. <laughs> so, I don't think there's enough time across a whole season of this podcast to point out everything wrong with that. Um, oh a, the legend of the Rainbow Warriors is not, as you might have guessed, a Hopi or Cree story. Uh, this legend first appeared in an evangelical Christian pamphlet in 1962 that was rewriting the revelation story to be more palatable to 1962 Americans. I almost wish there was a video component of our show because the face I'm making right now <laughs> can only be described as distraught Muppet. <laughs> so true. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, distraught Muppet is so accurate. And uh, B, I really hope that everyone listening knows that when you hear any sort of messaging about, quote, more evolved beings teaching an indigenous culture superior ways of doing things, that is always a white supremacist dog whistle. Always. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the same as, and I know I've brought this up in passing in another episode, but it's the exact fucking same as people believing in the ancient aliens conspiracy theory and thinking that communities <laughs> made of people of color couldn't possibly have built the pyramids it has to be aliens you know let alone the fact that like we figured out mathematically how the pyramids yeah. were built and the answer is always slavery not always Sorry. Like, that's not, that's not accurate. <laughs> um, sorry, that was inaccurate. And if I'm complaining about inaccuracies, I shouldn't veer the other way. It was technologically possible with the tools available at the time. Yes. Whether or not those tools were ethical is a different question. Yes. Um, so in 2015, a group of Native American academics and writers issued a statement against the Rainbow family members who are, quote, appropriating and practicing faux Native ceremonies and beliefs. Mm -hmm. These actions, although rainbows may not realize, dehumanize us as an indigenous nation because they imply our culture and humanity, like our land, is for anyone, is anyone's for the taking, end quote. And the signatories of this statement specifically named the, this misappropriation as cultural exploitation. Okay. Uh, so again, I 
I think there's a decent overlap between people on the wooier side of things and people yeah. interested in folklore and learning more about folklore. Um, you know, I myself have been known to dabble in the woo from time to time. Uh, we pull a card at the start of every episode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and also you can't tell me that the liberal use of incense in Catholic churches isn't a little woo. And I grew up with that. All the way down. <laughs> uh, but I, I am begging our listeners to look at the statements made by those in spiritual communities with a critical eye and listen to marginalized voices when they raise concerns about how their cultures are being portrayed, especially by people outside of their culture. Uh -huh. And, you know, I, just, there are some people doing some really good scholarly work on that sort of thing. Um, what a surprise. I'm still on Tumblr in this the year of our Lord's 2022. Everyone's heading back there. Twitter's a drag. It's wonderful. But um, I, I follow a few people in the quote unquote witch blur community. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them, a lot of the people that I follow specifically, I know there's all kinds of craziness out there talk very specifically about the decolonization of witchcraft and spiritual practices about being aware of where you're taking your personal practice from being more mindful staying away from closed cultures and right. not appropriating their stuff it's one thing if it's someone's like hey yeah no come on and borrow this and use x y and z and other thing entirely when someone's like hey this is ours and you are not understanding what significance is right um so with that soapbox moments i can include my segment and over to you corinne okay um so i i got into the the academia side of this really heavily okay i keep seeing your husband walk by and he's being so careful to be quiet <laughs> it's kind <laughs> of like that exaggerated like little kid spy movement <laughs> and i'm delighted i'm sorry i'm very distracted um so part of the reason i ended up going so heavily into the academic aspect of this is because i've actually covered a few instances of fake lore in the podcast you have uh for example the corvids episode when we talked about the tower ravens that is uh it goes all the way back to the ancient times of 1942 <laughs> uh, um, or the whole concept of mari lewid which we talked about in our holiday traditions episode. Tis the season. Tis the season. Um, so broadly speaking, as we've discussed a little bit already, there are a few different ways that fake lore and its related cousins, such as invented traditions, develop. Um, for example, there's an article by Venetia J. Newell. It's the adaptation of folklore and tradition, where she cites the research of one Hans Moser who indicates that these traditions develop for one of three reasons. And I'm quoting here, the performance of folk culture away from its original local context, the playful imitation of popular motifs by another social class, and the oh. invention and the creation of folklore for different purposes outside of any known tradition. Uh, and Hans Moser was referring to this phenomenon as folklorismus rather than fake lore. Uh, this is probably because this dude was German, and not an English speaker. So 
I saw a reference to that actually, and now I'm going to be a nerd and open. Do it. The article. Do it, nerd. So, yes. So, unlike fake lore, folklorismus is not necessarily misleading. It includes any use of the tradition outside of the cultural context in which it was created. And the term was first used in the 60s by, as you said, a German scholars who were primarily interested in the use of folklore by the tourism industry. It's it's older than that, actually. Really? Moser is from like the 30s. But he was being referenced by those scholars in the 60s. Interesting. So a lot of Moser's uh, discussion about folklorism was, it's, was especially about the Bavarian region, which was very open to tourism, but also the way that folk practices were being, I don't want to say appropriated because that's not quite right. This is still Germans using German folklore, but the nobility would take peasant practices and incorporate that into their lives. So like they would do peasant weddings. Oh. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, but Moser and his kin were instrumental in bringing this idea of like not all folklore is quote unquote folklore into the academic sphere. Um, for the record, I did try to find Moser's paper, Folklore is Missing Our Time, but I was unsuccessful. If JSTOR does have that paper, it has to be in the original German, which I cannot read. Unfortunately. Yeah, that's, that's not one I can help you with. My grandpa could. Yeah, no, no one in my family speaks German. I take that back. I think one of my uncles speaks German. Anyway, um, Newell's. Oh, hey, look at that. I actually talked about the Bavarian region. Um, <laughs> Newell's article references different quote unquote fake lore traditions from across Europe, especially in Bavarian Germany, which again, these specific citations are because of the incredible documentation by these German scholars. Um, and then springboarding from there, in a separate article, I found descriptions of an ongoing evolution of another bit of fake lore, which is similar to Wales's Mary Lewid. Um, in Devonshire, they have a tradition called the hunting of the Earl of Roan. Uh, okay. Just like, is just like our creepy hobby horse friend, the Mary Lewid, except uh, this one, you know, they've got their, their little hobby horse. And instead of an epic rack battle at Christmas, there's like a whole procession. And they, the Earl is always played by a small child Aww. who is hunted through the woods in late May. And much like Mario Lewid, this tradition is not as ancient as it seems. It appears to have originated in the 19th century and was revived in the 1970s when you see that whole folk revival going on. That makes sense. And uh, what's kind of interesting in the, is detailed in this article is that the traditions around the hunting of the Earl of Rhone have undergone several changes over the last four decades. Some are to further tie into other folkloric traditions and customs of the village where this originated. Um, some are entirely pragmatic and are created to ensure the safety of all participants. Uh, for example, the little kid who plays the Earl of Rhone is off in the woods by themselves and they're like, actually, maybe that's not safe. Yeah, maybe so, let's not. I feel like there is, in fact, an entire class of folklore uh, that tells us exactly why you shouldn't send small children off to the woods alone. 
Well, and part of the problem is that some of the older teens would start thinking, oh, it's fun to go chase the kid ahead of time. So to keep this from happening, they're like, well, we need to have a chaperone. And then they were like, oh, hey, actually, we need to have two chaperones because as horrible as it is to consider sexual assault of children does happen. We yes. need to be extra cautious. So two adults. Yeah. Um, another article that I found, and which unfortunately I could not find a freely accessible PDF. I only was able to uh, access the abstract. Was a um, basically an argument that the revival of national Slavic neo-pagan traditions in Serbia could be an example of fake lore or folklorismus. Uh, a lot of the beliefs and aesthetic that surround it stem from the Romantics, and that is with a capital R, we are talking yes. <laughs> We are talking about the, uh, the literary tradition, not romance novels here. Yes. <laughs> and that understanding of folk culture. Um, but unfortunately, since I couldn't find more than the abstract, I can't dig too deeply into that. It did, however, remind me that I unironically love parts of the folklore revival that a lot of the West saw in the 70s, which I know there's a lot of problematic issues, but those hippie folk melodies that got put into hymns in the Catholic Church. I love them. That I will give you. I love those. And I know my mother-in-law will uh, go ahead and disown me for that one because she much prefers the more traditional music. You know, there is a part of me that is sad that churches have moved away from any Latin during Lent and Advent. Not all churches. I can I can confidently say that having sung in several choirs. I just know the last couple of times. Was hell at Saint Raphael. Good. I look. I do not practice Catholicism at this time, but I am here for the aesthetic of Absolutely. singing Latin in a minor key. Pange lingua. Angustei. Oh god, all of the Angustei. Yeah, no. Um, especially we had one priest who was a little bit bonkers. And I oh, say that with all the love just in my one? heart. He had to retire early for his mental health. And you know oh, how much we keep a hold of our priests. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was a character mm -hmm. and oh the easter triduum was long oh <laughs> uh, yeah um okay if you've never been part of it and you have three and a half four hours to spare one saturday night in the spring go to a catholic easter vigil it's yep. an experience yep um okay so going back to my research i do I, i'm sorry i stepped on your toes a little bit here with my research but it's How? not anything you brought up so i feel i feel better about Dare it Dare you okay so american scholar alan dundas was hugely responsible in the 60s and 70s for bringing folklore scholarship and fake lore scholarship into the modern era uh recognizing that oral tradition isn't as strictly necessary for something to be deemed folkloric because at the time only things stemming from oral tradition were considered folklore. 
town. Uh, so he really brought the concept that written traditions could be folklore, giving us room for things like uh, urban legends as a folkloric pathway. Interesting. I would have thought that that distinction would have happened much earlier. No, it's really interesting. Um, he's also very responsible for the line of logic that many children's stories, both contemporary and older, i.e. Hans Christian Andersen, are fake lore, which caused huge stirrings in the academic folklore scene and amongst authors, especially children's authors. So I've linked to essays that are arguing both sides of the aisle. That's what I was telling you about earlier. One of which from no less a luminary than Jane Yolen. It's a fantastic read. Oh, but man. it's really good. And I did, I, I read so many articles, Amanda. <laughs> I didn't include like half of what I read. I mean, but, welcome to my research process. But uh, that got me thinking about something a little um, sideways. If we are considering the creation of fake lore through contemporary storytelling, um, are you familiar with the the recent Tumblr mass hallucination of Goncharov? I am. So if we're considering that that massive yes and development of Goncharov, should organic- probably explain that to our listeners, some of whom aren't terminally online. <laughs> okay, so for people who are not familiar, uh, several websites have done excellent write-ups. Shout out to uh, Polygon. Did a really good one. I can't remember who wrote that one, and I feel bad about it. It was a very good write-up, though. But anyway, this stems from a meme. Someone posted, I think, like, two or three years ago, a picture of a boot. Like, a bootleg boot that they bought. That was um, the the little tag that's supposed to tell you who made it. Talks about being Goncharov, a film by Martin Scorsese. Okay. Uh, with uh, like who the director was, and it's some like jumbling of letters and numbers. It's right. a trip. And about three weeks ago, maybe that sounds right. Ago, uh, it resurfaced and it took on a life of its own, where people are writing meta. They are writing film scores. They are making fan art about Goncharov, the greatest film Martin Scorsese never made. It is fascinating. So I'm wondering, does something that developed so organically via a weird meme on Tumblr count as the development of fake lore? Or what about the other stories that have developed based on these little internet memes like Stabby the Roomba or... uh, I love Stabby. The God of Aleppo. Side note, I wanted to name our Roomba Stabby, but Hunter wouldn't let me. So it's named Mr. Fantastic instead as a reference to a very specific fan fiction. I think Hunter just wanted to make sure that after a second glass of wine one night, you didn't decide to make Stabby uh, live up to his name. <laughs> You're not entirely wrong. You tell me I wasn't allowed to name the room a Stabby. So I'm like, well, fine, fuck it. His name is Mr. Fantastic. But yeah, I'm kind of curious, like, what are your thoughts on modern meme culture, which does spawn these huge stories with continuity? Like, is that fake lore? Is that folklore? I could see that being 
I could see that being fake lore for sure. I'm wondering if there's a longevity requirement for something to be more folklore. Um, yeah. See, and my my thought on folklore versus fake lore, you know, we've previously established a lot of fake lore is tied into that mythic past. You know, like we were talking about with Mari Lewid, she's not pagan, she's just weird. Yes. So I'm just, I'm very curious on what sort of media literacy studies and internet studies are going to be done on these incredibly intricate stories that have developed via group tellings online with these deeply, deeply unhinged and wonderful people. <laughs> that is one thing. I, I know the internet is a terrible place a lot of the time. Yes. But it, I feel, has allowed human creativity to blossom in ways that it never could have without the social reach we have today. Exactly. Because, like, when I'm looking at just the ones that I referenced, like, Stabby the Roomba is amazing, but frequently Stabby's stories are set in the far-flung future. Whereas the God of Aleppo is actually set in that mythic past. And there are stories, there are comics that people have drawn well, and when you think the far-flung future, I mean, the the Rainbow Warriors that I was talking about just now are technically a future prophecy. Um, okay. Though I wouldn't say that Stabby is necessary. Well, Stabby could be a prophecy after a few glasses of wine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I want that on merch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. I'm good. I'm not even, I haven't had any alcohol today. Oh, I can't say that. We went to a Christmas market today and treated ourselves to a cocktail smoking kit. And so um, before we recorded, we definitely had a smoked Manhattan. I mean, I almost poured myself another glass of wine for tonight's recording session, but then I was like, oh, wait, I have tea. And I did say that I was going to name drop wild woman shop white well wise woman that's the bitch <laughs> and there's your endorsement right there it's a good place i'm just stupid <laughs> oh my gosh if we ever get ads that has to go into every single one of them i'm writing it in or we're not doing your ad that's a lie <laughs> if you want us to read your ad and you're not like an anti-semite <laughs> Yeah, it is we, we have standards, but they're kind of low. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh I can this out. This has why? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this has devolved. But trying to pull us back onto these train tracks that are uh Yeah, we, we veered rapidly, of course. My apologies. Anyway, the development of group storytelling via memes and other uh, internet pathways. Fake lore, folklore, something else entirely. That's it's interesting because 
a part of me is like, well, they're they're not they're definitely not urban legends. We we discuss kind of the the uh-huh. parameters that those really need to fit under. I'm sure I'm that not sure that contemporary folklorists are studying and um if anybody mm-hmm. who's actively studying this sort of thing wants, wants to, to like weigh in or direct us to some articles written by people way smarter than us because boy someone is that a low bar list. someone give me i want a syllabus damn it right my uh, overachieving little brain wants a syllabus so i'm actually thinking if we go back to the beginning of your segment this would almost be more uh, or if we're looking at the definition that i read out it would almost be the folklorismus more than it would be fake lore because no one's writing this with the intention to deceive someone into thinking that it is existing folklore. Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. So if, if ever I go get my master's degree in folklore, like I've threatened to do a few times now, maybe maybe I've discovered my thesis topic. Maybe I've given some, if I have given someone a thesis topic, then you know what? My life is complete. Oh, definitely. But uh, that's really all that I have as well. I Like I said, I did a lot of research and not all of it ended up in here because I couldn't find good ways to weave it in. Um, but everything I read was really fascinating. And I'm looking forward to bombarding you with PDFs and links. Yes. And, you know, sharing those links on our website, which people should totally visit and um, harass me about updating because our site needs a facelift. So look, because people could also harass me about our lackluster uh, social media presence the past few months, but we both started jobs in pretty new to us industries slash positions. That's and. Funny. It has been a lot for two women with generalized anxiety disorders. Um, so, uh, you know, we do want to communicate more with people. And boy, is it a lot more exciting to log in to Twitter or Instagram if I can interact with you guys. So, you know. Send us emails. We're nice people. We'll respond to you. We they will. In, but we will respond. <laughs> Please do. Oh my goodness. See, you all should be very appreciative to Corinne because she keeps us from sounding like terrible people. There's the secret. I'm always terrible. I just know how to make it sound like I'm funny. (laughs) The family gift. Assholes, but we're funny assholes. So I I yeah. don't have anything else to add to this. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I've lost my mind. I, you know, I didn't have mine to start with today, so it's all good. Oh, Lord. Um, okay. But thank you guys so much for listening. Um, again, you know, maybe we inspired someone's thesis topic, or maybe this has been discussed ad nauseum. And it would be beating a dead horse. We don't know. We're bad at Google. Help us. 
help us do our job, please. Yes. <sighs> All right. So uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, you know, support a union. And uh, sweet dreams and caffeinated nightmares, everybody. Good night. You know that feeling when you're searching for a new horror book, but you're just being stared down by a wall of Stephen King? We're trying to change that. We're Butcher Cabin Books, a new horror-focused bookstore giving shelf space to indie horror writers. Don't worry, we still carry King, but he's quarantined to his own section. Learn more at horrorbookstore.com, where you can buy books online along with merch and mystery boxes. Or you can visit us in person in Louisville, Kentucky, where we're open year-round. Thank you for listening to Graveyard Coffee Talk. Our theme music is Pretty Little Dead Girls by Seanan McGuire, copyright 2006 and used with permission. Our cover art is by Kyle Welsh. If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at Graveyard Coffee Talk Pod or on Twitter at Talk Graveyard. Never grew up